everyone is capable of being an ally and capable of being inclusive. And everybody is capable of, you know, knowing their privilege and how to apply it for impact. Mm -hmm. That is leadership. Fierce Lab is a podcast series for women. It's powered by the Tara Wilson Agency, the agency that gets women. It's a space to focus on our whole selves, from mental health to career development to financial intelligence. To be fierce is to be confident, capable, and strong. Fierce Lab offers inspiration, tools, and community. It's where we can explore new ideas and encourage discovery. Here, trying something new is celebrated. No one has it all figured out, but together, we can step fiercely into what's next. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Fierce Lab. I am Tara Wilson, your host, and today I'm joined by Tammy DeWeese. Tammy is head of diversity, equity, and inclusion for Samsung Electronics America. Tammy, welcome to the show. Thank you. So great to be here. I'm humbled to be invited to share some of my stories with you. Well, I am so glad to get to talk to you one-on-one. So for those of you that did not attend Fierce Lab Live last October, let me share with you that Tammy was one of our panelists and she spoke about her career. And I just have to say, Tammy, I have heard so much wonderful feedback from having you on the panel discussion. One woman was like, I could totally relate to her. I really like how she shared her story and and she was unapologetic for the accomplishments that she's had in her career. And when she said that, I was like, yes, yes, that's what we wanted to come away with from chatting with you. So I'm really excited to be able to talk with you one-on-one today and, and share your story with our entire Fierce Lab audience. Should we get into it? Yeah, great. Okay. So let's let's just kind of level set for anyone who may not be familiar with what your role is. What does a, a diversity, equity, and inclusion leader do? Yeah, well, that's a great question. I actually transitioned into this role for Samsung Electronics America, and I'll, I'll reference it throughout as SEA. I transitioned into this role three years ago. I'd actually been with the company since 2011, so it's not like I was new to Samsung. But when I took this role three years ago, it was the start of the pandemic. We, The country was going into lockdown. We had George Floyd's murder. There was this corporate awakening with social justice. I started this role as a team of one and no budget. I thought I was just going to kind of ease in, build our DEI foundation, put together some programs quietly, you know, build up our, our momentum. And all of a sudden, you know, these uh, these other influences had happened. So it was a little bit of a rocky and, and challenging start, but it has been very exciting and rewarding. I work with our employee resource group, communities. They are fantastic at building communities of belonging. We work with our DEI Executive Council to help ensure that we've got the right strategy and plan. We're looking at our processes and practices to, you know, create equitable outcomes. So, you know, it's really looking at the business in totality and ensuring that DEI is not viewed as this siloed 
activity. But with that being said, I mean, this is a long journey. It's a work in progress. There's no defined endpoint, and there is really no defined path on how to get to that endpoint. And it's going to look different for, for different companies. But I think part of my success is having been with the company understanding the dynamics, understanding the headquarters subsidiary model. I knew the business side of the house, and we'll probably get into that a little bit later with my corporate backgrounds, but I knew how to launch products and services, revenue capabilities. And then I was able to, you know, move into this, this role focused more on culture, belonging, helping ensure that all of our employees are thriving, not some of our employees. Mm-hmm. As you're talking and you're talking about there's not a model for this and there's not one way to do it, for someone listening, that can sound scary. That can sound like taking a risk when you're leading a team. And and certainly it sounds like in some ways it could have been a career risk when you started out as a party of one, as a leader of one, and then you've grown it. And the reason I use the word risk, as you know, Tammy, risk-taking is one of the core pillars of Fierce Lab. And so I wonder how you navigate the space when there isn't a clear playbook. And, And what advice would you give to a woman that might be in a situation where she doesn't have a playbook to go by in her own career? That's a good question. And maybe I can, if you'll afford me the time here and and answering this, because, uh, you know, I've got over 25 years of professional experience. So throughout my career, I've had a pattern of risk taking. Therefore, I've built up my confidence over the years. It didn't just come to me overnight. And also, I think some of this came from my sports background. I was a competitive gymnast growing up. I competed all the way through college in a division one program. And so, you know, I've always kind of had within my, my attributes being courageous, brave, willing to take on challenges. And so if you kind of like fast forward into this role, yes, it was a transition to move from the business what I was very familiar with, launching products and services, bringing them to market, commercializing emerging technologies. I knew how to do that. But to be candid with you, I was kind of bored with it. I'm like, I just, I need something new. I need something more meaningful. It's not that I didn't care about our products and services, but you know, I, I just wasn't deriving energy from it. I was deriving energy from some of the other DEI work that I was doing as an employee resource group leader that's what was building excitement for me. And I made a decision, you know, I want to get paid for this work. I'm going to start pursuing jobs in DEI. And at the time, you know, I didn't think Samsung was going to be, you know, having a team focused on DEI. So I was looking outside the company, but as circumstance would have it, I I met our VP of HR at a dinner at the time. And he said to me at a women's conference that I put together and he said to me, yeah, we're looking to hire someone to be, you know, head of DEI. And I just looked at him and I raised my hand. I was like, I want that role. Me, me, right? (laughs) Yeah. We basically started interviewing there and over the subsequent days. And and ultimately I was selected for the position, but I kind of had clear in my mind already. I knew this was where I wanted to pivot my career. I was already looking. And so when the opportunity was, you know, right there in front of my face, I took it, I raised my hand and I, I pursued it, but kind of back to your point of risk-taking, 
I already had the self-confidence that I could take on new and big challenging assignments. I, I've done many of them. So I knew I could do this one too. And I believed in myself. I love that, Tammy. I mean, I, I took so many notes as you were speaking. You started by saying that you have a pattern of taking risks in your career and your 25 years of being in business. And, and then toward the end of that, you said, you know, I saw an opportunity and I took it. I raised my hand. And that's something we speak about often on the podcast is sharing with women that people don't come tap you on the shoulder for opportunities, do they? You have to many times, more than not, have to step up and and say, I want that. And I, I heard that you did that with your VP of HR. That's right. And I've done it many times as well. I'll give you another example. I don't know if it's a great example, but there is also a pattern in my career where I get bored. You know, so if I'm in the job for too long, I need I need something else. So I was in a particular role. There were various reorgs. There was, you know, some shifting of the teams. And I just wasn't motivated by my role anymore. I had a new SVP who was in a different location. So when he was in Dallas, we set a meeting. I said I needed to have a conversation with him, talk about my career growth and opportunities. And I essentially said to him in a very nice manner, it may come out a little blunt here. I basically said to him, I'm not being utilized properly. I'm unhappy with my role. I'm going to start looking. And I was giving him the heads up in case he got phone calls because I didn't want him to be surprised. I wanted him to hear it from me first. And I said, these are all the skills and attributes and strengths that I bring to the table. And these are why they're not being utilized right now. <laughs> I think he was a little stunned, like, wow, I can't believe you're saying this to me. And he said, you know, that was really courageous to do so. He told me about another project that was kind of brewing behind the scenes. They couldn't find anybody for the role. They had been searching externally for months. And he said, you have some of the skills. Why don't you, why don't you give it a try? I was too, uh, no, I don't think he was fully honest with me on what the project was. <laughs> you know? So I was a little naive and I, and I took it on. And then I was like, oh my gosh, what did I just get myself into? But, you know, I kind of share that as an example because, because you mentioned, you know, it's not always handed to you. They didn't look at me as somebody who was available to take on that project. I had to raise my hand and basically say, I'm quitting. Right. Before they said, oh, wait a minute, but you have great skills and attributes. We could use them. Mm-hmm. Well, and what I love about that story, Tammy, is that you were prepared. Like you said, A, I wanted him to hear it from me. So there's that level of transparency that I think good leaders appreciate. You listed out your strategic qualities, your skill sets. You knew you were being underutilized and you were able to articulate, here's what I bring to the table and my current role is not tapping into that. And I think that's critical too, to be able to recognize what your strengths are and know that you can play to them. And then to say, I'm open to new opportunities, should there be any available? even though you might not have, as you admit, didn't have all the qualifications for it. But I I love that you're sharing this because one of the big things for me in having this podcast is about gleaning insights from other women. And I often talk about that if I can take a piece from you and I can take a piece from a past podcast guest and so on, 
I can build my own roadmap. And it goes back to there not being a playbook, there not being a roadmap for what it is that a woman might want in her career. You need to take these things that like Tammy is sharing here and put them on your own map and utilize these tools. Something else that I picked up on that you said, if you're in a role too long, you can get bored. And then you previously mentioned that you found energy and you were building excitement around these roles that you were doing inside the organization, but not being paid for. And you said, I want to get paid for this work. So where, where my mind goes is I see that you follow where your energy is, where, you know, this word's a little bit overused, but where your passion happens to be. And you follow that. Can, can you speak a bit more to what that process is like for you? Yeah, I mean, it didn't come to me overnight. In my 20s and 30s, and I would even say early 40s, I was trying to climb the corporate ladder. I was collecting skills to build my resume. I was seeking higher level roles, higher levels of compensation. And in those roles, you know, I, I moved into sales, I moved into finance, I moved into people management. I had, you know, mapped out a plan for, for myself, kind of had some timelines and then identified, well, what skills am I missing and how do I go about getting them? But then come to my, you know, early 40s-ish, kind of reached a level. I wasn't fully satisfied, quite frankly. And then that's when Samsung had announced that they were forming a women's employee resource group. I was so excited. I didn't know what employee resource group was. Like, wow, what is this? And they were looking for volunteers to, you know, lead different pillars. So I had volunteered and I didn't get selected for one of the roles. And I was a little offended, like, how how could I not be selected? But I was like, okay, I'll be a super volunteer here. Y'all tell me what's going on. What are the initiatives? I'm in Dallas. I'll, uh, I'll help. I'll lead. I'll drive. It was kind of crickets. Nothing happening. I was asking, nothing happening. Finally, someone said to me, just leave Dallas, just go. I'm like, okay. That's where I started, you know, pulling women together. Let's meet. What do we want to do? What are some of the initiatives? And and we didn't start off saying, hey, join the ERG. Because I was like, what are we joining? (laughs) We had to build something. We had to decide what this community was going to do, what we were going to focus on, what, you know, what we were going to discuss. But I was just realizing the impact of the community. And when we started to open up and discuss difficult topics and conversations, because, you know, sadly in tech, we lack women in leadership. They're not necessarily, you know, there, or they might not be accessible, or if they are there, they seem too polished and put together. (laughs) It's intimidating to ask them questions, you know, fear of failure, and so what I was getting from this wise, that, that wise women in Samsung Electronics, that's the name of the ERG community. What I was getting from the community, we were having real conversations and learning from each other and helping lift each other up. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was just exciting. It felt impactful. I could see we were, while small, <laughs> mm-hmm. I could see as a volunteer group, we were starting to have impact and raise visibility 
And yeah, I began doing more research on DEI, what the role was, what it meant. Was I qualified? Could I do it? Mm -hmm. And then I'm like, yes, this has meaning. This is what gives me the energy to wake up in the morning and put in the long hours. This is where I'm going to spend the last chapter of my career. And I, I just made that decision that I didn't want to do another 10 years of the same old stuff, not really feeling energized. I wanted 10 more years of like real impact. I'm a mom of two. I've got a son and a daughter and, you know, they're going to come into the workforce. And I wanted to ensure that they were coming into a different workforce than what I grew up in. So I kind of acknowledge, right? Some of these changes that I drive for may not impact me. I'm at the tail end of my career, but Mm -hmm. if I can make the change for the Gen Z's coming in, I love that. I will have made a difference. There, there are so many elements of what you've just shared. Thank you for, for sharing that. And that I want to dig into one of the pieces I want to go to is this impact that you're making for the next generation of women, especially women in tech. But as you're talking, I'm, I'm thinking about Priya Patel joined us at Fierce Lab Live. Priya is associate partner at McKinsey and Company. And she shared with us that the Women in the Workplace report shows that 40% of women leaders say that their DEI work isn't acknowledged at all through their performance reviews and then therefore acknowledged through their compensation. Do you have thoughts around what women can do that are because it's often women that are stepping into these DEI spaces? Do you have thoughts about what they can do to quantify this work that they're doing and and get it into their performance reviews and and show up in the way that their leaders see the work as valuable too? Yeah, that's a good question. It's hard, you know, measuring the impact of the DEI programs in my opinion, is different. And the ROI of these programs, if it were that simple, we would have figured this out and we wouldn't be decades later still trying to you know, understand how to drive impact in DEI. But what I can say is, you know, at a corporate level, and particularly for me in this job leading DEI, I have worked really hard and been vocal and, I, and this year we're seeing progress. And that is elevating the visibility of DEI, recognizing DEI champions, recognizing great moments of inclusive leadership. And you don't have to be a people manager to be a leader. But there are moments all around us where people are doing great work. They're being an ally. Some people are taking bigger roles, you know, serving to be a pillar leader as part of their ERG or leading the the ERG all together. And traditionally it is volunteer. And what I've done is we've now put DEI into our annual employee performance goals. So, you know, you do have to demonstrate that you are supporting culture in DEI as part of your performance review. Within our recognition platform, we have added a new category, champions culture and DEI. There and and those attributes will now ladder up into a CEO award. We are also in discussion to in that CEO award, I'm sorry, you know, would go on part of a, an award wall. So that would be, you know, visible uh, recognition as well. 
And they were also having discussion about a completely separate DEI award category altogether. So the way I look at it is from a corporate level, people who are heads of DEI and on DEI teams, they have a responsibility to help ensure that DEI is recognized and the employees who spend time and make time to be a champion, they get credit for that work. As an individual, you have a responsibility to also speak up for yourself. Your manager is oftentimes very busy and admittingly focused on the business and may not see some of the other culture work that you're doing, but speak up and share it with the manager. Talk about how you're building and supporting communities of belonging, which promote engagement. Higher Mm -hmm. engagement yields higher productivity. It drives growth. It drives innovation. It drives retention. Mm-hmm. So, you know, quantifying those retention numbers yes. can be a little bit more difficult, particularly right. at a particular company, but there are enough studies and McKinsey has produced some of those studies with longitudinal studies to show that companies that support DEI, they're in the higher quartile and they experience greater revenue, growth, innovation, and, and profitability. Mm-hmm. So the numbers are there. It does back it up. I love that you said it's your responsibility to let people know, to let your manager know about this work that you're doing. And it goes back to, again, not being waiting for someone to tap you on the shoulder, but owning your career and owning the visibility of your career and sharing that. And you also said that you were talking about you don't have to be a people manager to be a leader in your organization. I'd love for you to kind of share a bit more thoughts around that. What what does that look like? It's about having impact. Mm -hmm. You know, there are a lot of people who are fantastic at their job. They have expertise in their role. But just because you know your role, you know engineering, whatever it may be, it doesn't mean that you would automatically be a great people manager. Being a people manager takes a different skill set. And so there is this kind of assumption that leader means people manager. And that's not necessarily true. Being a people manager is a different career path, but is not just, it's not synonymous with inclusive leadership. Everyone is capable of being an ally and capable of being inclusive. And everybody is capable of, you know, knowing their privilege and how to apply it for impact. Mm -hmm. That is leadership. Mm -hmm. I love that. That might be the pull quote for this particular podcast, Tammy. I appreciate you sharing that. So before we start talking about the work that you're doing for the next generation of women coming up, I want to ask you, what's been most helpful in getting you where you are today? I don't know if it's one thing, but what I'll say is I I took time early on to understand my strengths and worked hard to ensure that I was applying my strengths in my roles. And so people who work within their strengths can perform better. And there used to be kind of like this old, you know, thought that, oh, you know, identify your weaknesses and turn them into your strengths. No, no, no. 
my weaknesses are my weaknesses. And all I want to make sure is, is I know what they are so that they don't burn me. But I'm going to get more capacity. I'm going to have more growth. I'm going to have more impact when I'm focusing on my strengths. And when I take the time to know them, own them, and write my story about them, I'll be given more opportunities. And that's kind of, you know, my earlier story when I had said to my SVP, you know, basically I'm, I'm being underutilized here, are the strengths that I bring to the table. I'm not going to stay in this role anymore. I was able to articulate what those strengths were in a business context, which then he said, oh, I have this other project. You could actually be useful. And so when I've, when I've kind of stayed focused there, it's opened up the opportunities mm -hmm. for me. Mm -hmm. and, and given me the confidence, really, when opportunities are presented for me in front of me, that I could raise my hand and say, I want that. When I know them, then I own them. I love that. It's what you said about your strengths. As you know, this podcast is focused on the entry to mid-career woman. And so for a woman listening that's like, but I don't know my strengths, because I I can put myself back in those shoes when I was just starting out in my career and mid-career and kind of fumbling my way through. Do you have any advice for, for that woman who's not sure what her strengths are to, to start to identify what they could be for herself? Well, ask people around you. And I don't believe that folks don't know what their, their strengths are. I think they do. They might be afraid to write them down. They might be afraid to say them out loud, might sound silly. Get it out of your head and write it down. You'll start to see patterns. Ask other people. Like they're not going to give you bad attributes. <laughs> they're going to be, they're going to be kind. Right. But ask people around you who know you and don't ask the same people, you know, like ask a variety of different people. When you, you know, what are the attributes you see in me? What do you see as my strengths? Mm hmm you're going to see themes. I mean, Terry, and, and you can do it throughout your whole career, yes. but Terry, you may remember, I think it was around this time last year, we were just getting to know each other and you had picked me to be part of the panel. And I was thinking to myself, what do you see in me? And right. I asked you. Yes, you did. What are the five attributes that you see in me? Mm -hmm. There was a theme in the people in which I asked, and I asked people the ongoing, right? It's not like I just asked it at that point in time, but you know, the theme emerges. So what I think about myself, when I think about the successes in my roles and what other people say from a variety of different backgrounds, it's pretty consistent. Yeah. Yeah. I do Start remember there. you asking me that. And I, I loved that you did that. And to your point, you should do it at different points in your career. Perhaps some, I don't know, do you do it annually? Is that a, a habit for you, Tammy? Or is it like, at milestone moments that you're evaluating what these strengths are by asking others? No, I don't do it annually. It's, it's uh, there's probably no consistent pattern there, but admittingly I have asked a little bit more since I've taken this role because it was such a transition from the business into, into this DEI work. And I, I have observed that some of the strengths that I, and attributes that I've, had I need to apply more in this role and being more forward and upfront about it. And that that was probably a little awkwardly said, but let me let me give an example there. So 
I know I'm strong, I'm courageous, I'm determined, you know, I have high grit, all of these things consistently applied throughout my career. Since taking this role, I've been more vulnerable. In fact, it was probably about six years ago-ish, I had given a presentation and the male VP, you know, said to me after the meeting, he's like, you know, you should really work on being more vulnerable. I was like, huh? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure I probably even tilted my head like, what? I was in my 40s at that time. And that was the first time I'd ever been given that advice. And candidly, I didn't even know how to apply it. I just kind of shrugged it off as, as like, whatever. That's not going to help me. I thought it was the opposite of being brave and courageous. But I did kind of file it back in my brain. And I started to read a little bit more about empathetic leadership, courageous leadership, leader as a coach. I was introduced to Brené Brown. I read her book, Dare to Lead. If you've not read that book, I encourage you to read that book. I love it. I've, I've read it multiple times. It's a must read, in my opinion. And she talks a lot about vulnerability. Vulnerability is not a weakness. I learned that vulnerability is our most accurate way to measure courage. Researchers can measure how brave you are by how vulnerable you're willing to be. That was like an aha moment for me because I've always known I was brave. I've known I was courageous. I'm taking on uncharted you know, projects and territories and I charge full, full steam ahead bulldog, but I would always hide my vulnerability. Yeah. And then I realized it's all connected. And this is a way in which I can help, you know, take down guards and barriers and open up and have difficult conversations in the workplace. And so vulnerability is a skill that I've honed in on a little bit more since taking this role. Um, mm-hmm. Still a work in progress. I mean, I yeah. would hardly say that it's natural for me, but, you know, I just kind of share that example of, you know, we can evolve throughout our career and uh, mm-hmm. things that our strengths earlier can remain constant, but, you know, there are other attributes that can come to the surface and, you know, perhaps necessary in different roles. Yeah. As you talk about embracing vulnerability, I'm taken back to you sharing that you were an athlete through college, competitive gymnast. And as an athlete, you're taught to not show vulnerability, to not show weakness, to um, stand in your confidence and, and, And so probably to do away with that set of armor that you were taught to wear, so to speak, and then to let it go later in your career, that was was it tough? Was it tough to open up and become more vulnerable? Absolutely. I mean, so, you know, one thing is you may not be able to see me because it's an audio podcast, but. I'm Korean born. I'm a Korean adoptee. I was adopted at one years old. I was raised an only child by white parents and lived in small town Kentucky. So I'm a Gen Xer, right? Well, let me tell you, in small town Kentucky, there weren't a whole lot of Asians around. I was the only Asian in town for the longest time. There was no Asian community for me to lean on. Nobody looked like me. On TV, the only Asian female that I knew was Connie Chung. It was part of my daily existence to be bullied, 
harassed, discriminated, long list of ugly things that had happened to me. So that was part of my normal. And so I did kind of build up this protective armor to protect my feelings, right? I didn't want to get trampled on. And, and, and so the thought of showing any vulnerability growing up was completely foreign to me. And that's why when that VP said it to me, I was like, I don't understand you. <laughs> <laughs> Not going to happen, right? Was that kind of yeah. a natural instinct there? So being raised, I mean, I had I had all of these other things in which I I, I feel like I was kind of taught, if you it could have been self-taught, but and self-inflicted in ways in which I would protect myself. And to me growing up, that did not mean exhibiting or demonstrating any vulnerability. So mm-hmm. it it was a pivot to to bring that forward more. But when I learned from Brene Brown that, you know, vulnerability is tied to being courageous and brave, then I kind of you know, it was a little bit easier for me to um, allow my vulnerability to come through because it was always there. I just hit it. Yeah. Yeah. And let it show. Mm. Thank you for sharing all of that. I appreciate your vulnerability in this moment and telling us about what it was like for you as a child. And, you know, I could put myself there with you. That's what I love about this podcast is when guests go deep and are willing to show some vulnerability and share some of these stories that we don't, it's not written in your, in your bio on LinkedIn. Someone might not know that about you interacting with you on a day-to-day basis and in the office, but to share it here, um, I appreciate that so much. Let's talk about this program that you have developed at Samsung that is about the next generation of women leaders and what is your vision for that? Share, share a bit more about it for me, would you? Earlier, you had referenced, I think, a guest from McKinsey, or, or maybe you referenced the McKinsey Women in the Workplace Study. I have been reading that annual report since it started. And in fact, Samsung even participated for a couple of years in it. And that report served as inspiration for me in this role to ensure that we are doing as much as we can to develop our women. And in that report, you know, it shows that we have an issue with the funnel. At entry level, we're pretty, we're pretty gender balanced. But as soon as you start to move up to that first level of management and continue senior management, director, executive levels, you start to see the percentage of women decline. And it's a funnel problem across industries. So it's not like it's just Samsung. It's not like it's just technology. This is a common problem that's existed for years. Now, some companies may have figured it out, but you know, overall, it's a funnel problem. And I'm tired of hearing there aren't enough women talent available. The women are here. And so what I wanted to ensure is that we put together deliberate and targeted program designed by women for women to help them. And some of the skill development is the same as other leadership programs. But in this program, we also incorporated group coaching because oftentimes at your early and mid-career levels, 
access to external group coaching is not available. That's, that's often traditionally available for your executive level. But there is a lot that you can gain from coaching, having a professional coach, external perspective, and peer learning. And being able to share and talk about it and how some of the skills, how you apply them within your team, within your org, within your work environment. For some people, it works. For some people, it's a little sloppy. They need to continue practicing and they need to have a community to share and learn and improve. And that's a lot what this program was designed. It was skill development, but it was also group coaching to have a safe space to share, practice, continue the learning. And when I talk about the skills and the skill development, some of it is an example like language strategies and how women, and it's not to you know, overgeneralize, but it's not uncommon for women through their language to diminish themselves apologize up front. I was on a call the other day and it was a group of women. And she said, I'm sorry, I've probably had too much coffee this morning. I might be coming off a little strong. And I said, stop. I said, don't ever apologize for that again. You are strong, you own it, and you do not apologize, you know, for it. I think she was kind of like, oh, and that's where I kind of go back to previous comments, which is know your strengths and own them. They are yours. Now you, you can adjust the narrative. Look, I've been told that, you know, or been called at times the B word. Well, guess what? I own that word and I call it bold. I am strong. I am driven. I'll push forward. I'm courageous. And so they just look at it in a different way because when that attribute comes across as a, as an Asian female who are supposed to be the model minority, it looks different to them. And it may look like, you know, an ugly B word, but I say it's a proud B word. I'm bold. So know your strengths, own them. But back to, you know, this women's development program that I piloted last year, and I'm very excited to be able to continue it this year. And I hope to continue to grow and expand it. It is purposely designed for women. Uh, we will likely and hopefully expand it to include other underrepresented talent as well. But there is an acknowledgement that leadership programs and development programs are not a one size fits all. And we have to create space to meet the employees where they are and how they need the support, not what I think you need the support of. That's what we've piloted and, you know, invite me back in five years. Hopefully it's a great flagship program for us and I can, I can share, you know, some of the other great tangible outcomes from it, but it is, it is something that we've launched and I'm proud of it. Yeah. Well, th thank you for telling us about that. I really uh, latched into that group coaching component, because as you mentioned, it's sometimes not available at that level in a career. And so to provide that and then the language strategies, absolutely. Apologizing is just one thing that women do, but just uh, self-deprecating. I see a lot of women that they kind of go into the environment and they self-deprecate. They make themselves smaller to make others in the room feel larger. And I see it more times than not 
with women. Fierce Lab has started a book club, and our first book is The Book of Boundaries by Melissa Urban. And the other night in book club, we were chatting about this perception that as women set boundaries, what it does for the way people react. And, you know, we talk about this language, the way women diminish themselves. And one of the things, Tammy, that we discussed was I see a lot of women put in their out of office automated email all these justifications for why they're taking time off. And I said, how often do we see that from a man's out of office notification? Rarely, if almost never, do we see that a man justifies why he's out of the office. But as women, hey, I'm out of the office today due to and I'm taking a much needed day for self-care. No, no. How about I'm out of the office today. I will not be checking email and I will not be returning phone calls. Here's who you reach out to. If you need something, I'll return your call and email when I'm back in the office, period. We do not need to justify ourselves. I wonder if you see that much with women within the communities that you're leading, that women are finding ways to justify for themselves that we're not seeing in men. I think it's sadly common. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we're almost raised at a at an early age to think that way and let me tell you i mean i'm far from perfect i'm a mom of two my kids are one school grade apart so right now that i've got a sophomore and a and a freshman so i've raised them the same you know it's not like they have this huge age gap and and i i raise them differently they're the same but their personalities are are very different my son is far more outgoing. My daughter is more reserved. And I caught myself when they were younger. I'm embarrassed to say this out loud, but I, I caught myself when they were younger, pushing my son to take chances. It's okay. And with my daughter, be respectful. Use your manners. And then even... Strangers would say stuff to my kids at the grocery store because, again, my son was very outgoing. He would say hi. He would engage in conversations with people. My daughter would not. She would just stay back and reserved. And, and, and people would say, oh, my gosh, your son is so smart. He's so articulate. He's great. And I never defended my daughter. I never said my daughter is too. And I did have a moment when I realized that I was like, oh my gosh, I'm almost subliminally doing this to my own kids. Now, I suppose the good news is I realized it and, you know, working hard to make that adjustment. But, you know, that's why I say like we, we subconsciously perpetuate these narratives and behaviors. And then we wonder why as adults and, and people in the workplace, we continue these behaviors. At that point, it's, it's become ingrained on us. It's part of our mm -hmm. habit. We created them. So we have to step back. I was speaking with someone the other day talking about bias, and I recognized I had a bias. And it's like, holy moly, very, very similar to your situation. You, you see it and you're like, wow. You know, and I, I, it was a bias toward a woman. 
and I run a women's empowerment platform and and I was holding her to a different standard than I was holding a male colleague. And I thought, this is nuts, you know, but I had been conditioned. But thankfully, just like you, I recognized it. It's like, okay, how can I reframe this and moving forward, hold them both to the same standard? And it's challenging to do, but the fact that we're willing to talk about it, recognize it, and within our own lives, do something about it, that's how we can create change. I can't change anyone else, but I can certainly work on changing myself. So, you know, here's a little tidbit. I've mentored some younger women. (laughs) A piece of advice that I've said to them all is when you're in meetings, don't be the first to volunteer to take the notes and don't be the volunteer to be the party planner. They're like, what? I said, you're really not going to get credit for it. And it's just going to take your time. Now, if you're assigned it, you know, that's a different story than kind of question why you're being assigned. Sometimes it is what it is, but don't volunteer for it. Spend your time and energy on things that are going to help you grow, you develop, you have impact, not noise. And there, that's where a tendency can happen of, you know, women, women can be doers and they think that this is valuable and helpful. And it's not that it's not valuable. It's not that people don't, you know, fully appreciate being able to have a team outing, but do you really get full credit for, you know, putting it all together? Does it show up in your performance review? Does it help you get the raise? No, no unpaid work, unpaid labor, and it's not Mm -hmm. moving the business needle forward and it's not valued. If it were valued, yeah. you would be paid for it. That's, and that's right. great advice. And as a as a as a people leader, you know, share that load. Mm-hmm. Unless you have someone on your team where it's defined in their R and R that that is a responsibility. That's that's a different situation. But if it truly is volunteer, then volunteer mm-hmm. a different person on your team every yeah. time. Rotate that through not just have the same person do it every time because she's a great note taker. Oh, she's such a great note taker. I, I, I would like for her to do it. So notes are notes. You can get together the two of you and take his and take his and make them into great notes. Yeah. So Tammy, you have architect this really amazing career. You've recognized what your strengths are. You've raised your hands for for opportunities. Um, you've taken risks throughout your career, moving toward things that build excitement for you. So you've figured out what the path looks like for yourself, how to do it for you. But for a woman that might not know how to make that next step, how to move forward, what advice would you have for her f- for moving herself into that next step? of her career? It takes time. I mean, and it's not on a day-to-day basis, may not be crystal clear, but what I would always say is start mapping out the plan. Get the thoughts out of your head and put them down on paper. Because sometimes when you see it on paper, it can give you clarity. You see it on paper and you think, yes, I'm, I'm gonna build that. Or you see it on paper and you're like, oh, no, that's not quite right. So you need to start mapping out your plan. Know your strengths. Own them. Write your own story. 
if you're happy where you are today, and this, you know, great. Is this where you want to be in five years? Is this where you want to be in 10 years? And if you are, great, stay the course. If you want something different, then start to define that on paper and define what is that time frame. And then what are the skills? What are the experiences? What do you need in between to help you reach that milestone that you've identified for yourself? One, three, five, 10 years, whatever, whatever that may be. Also know what you're chasing. You know, I kind of made a comment earlier. Oftentimes people will say, well, I want to be a people manager. And I asked them, do you really know what that means? You know, because you can be a high level individual contributor with making a lot of money with a tremendous amount of influence. And you don't have to have the burdens of managing other people. Managing people is a different skill set. So people can confuse leadership must mean it's people management. And I don't see them as, as synonymous. So that's kind of the comment, which is know what you're chasing. Get out of your head. You need to write the stuff back or you need to write the stuff down on paper. Come back and visit it. You write it down now. Come back in a week. Come back a little bit later. You know, just kind of work on it. Don't be afraid to ask for help. Get fresh perspective. They can help unlock ideas. Also, write down your wins and your successes. What is the theme that's emerging? And are you happy with those successes? Does it drive and build energy for you? Think about the possibilities. So those are the, you know, some of the recommendations in, in mapping out the plan. The other thing that I would say is that that's too difficult, right? Then maybe you start off with, well, what don't you want to do? What are your deal breakers? Right? Because maybe you know the deal breakers, but you have to start somewhere. Wow. I keep an Excel worksheet on my desktop going back to writing down your wins. And I have a win and I put it in the Excel worksheet. And it is so valuable at any point in time, but I really utilize it at the end of the year to go back and look at what I've accomplished. Um, I think sometimes for type A, highly driven individuals like myself, I know we move the goal line and it can be hard to acknowledge those wins. And so to have them in writing, to be able to look back on and say, yes, I did do that. And at the time I counted as a win and it's still a win. That is very helpful to me. I wonder if you keep some sort of system like that for yourself. I do. And actually I'm working with an executive coach right now and she has helped me a lot, particularly in this work leading DEI because, you know, like you, Tara, I'm type A, I'm a perfectionist. I was a competitive gymnast. Mm -hmm. I mean, the sport itself is judging you on the level of perfection in your routine. And so I can have successes and I may only feel it for a minute and then I mm -hmm. forget about it. Or I think about the things that I didn't do well enough instead of like, that was a great success. It was a great presentation. I will focus in on, I didn't do this. I didn't do that. And it's taking brain capacity. So in writing down the successes, I, I really have to work hard that I stay focused on the true success and not hone in on the 10% that I maybe didn't do uh -huh. well enough. And maybe it wasn't even 10%, maybe it's only mm -hmm. 1% and nobody else noticed, but mm -hmm. I noticed, right? Stopping that train of thought and, you know, kind of that narrative. I call that those I old tapes. Narrative of negativity. Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. Right. And, and letting that go. But when you see it on paper and when you start to see how they build upon each other and that there's, you know, lots of examples, then you can stay focused on the positive, the opportunities, mm -hmm. and it's just, you know, a better headspace. Tell me about working with an executive coach. I didn't expect to go here in this conversation, but I would love to talk a little bit about how you invest in yourself and your professional development. Well, I was lucky enough to participate in a couple leadership development programs last year. And one of those programs gave me access to an executive coach. And that was the first time that I had one in my career. And I was going through some challenging moments, if I'll be honest. You know, I had some career disappointments. I, I was struggling. We were also in the pandemic or coming out of the pandemic. It was just really difficult times. And I, I, I felt stuck and the coach was really working with me and reminding me about my strengths, how I've applied them to ensure that I'm continuing to build momentum, that I create solutions, that I think about new opportunities instead of trying to fix old problems. It's, you know, and there's this kind of like, you know, left brain, right brain and, and, and really kind of focused on the positive and ensuring that I'm writing notes for myself, kind of like your spreadsheet, that I have visibility to the successes, the wins. And she keeps me on track. I think that's probably one of the bigger items for me. She's not telling me anything mm -hmm. I don't know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's just making sure that I, in fact, stay on mm -hmm. track with the progress yeah. holding a mirror up to you i love what you said that she is challenging you to create new opportunities instead of fixing old problems that's powerful that's right tammy this has been such a great conversation i have enjoyed it you speaking so vulnerably sharing so much about your path and your work and and sharing what you're doing as a dei leader but also what you're doing as a leader within your family and for the next generation of women. Before I let you go, the question that I ask every podcast guest at the end of the show is I want to know what the word fierce means to you. Unapologetic. Mm -hmm. Being brave. Going for it even when you don't have all of the answers. Mm -hmm. I love that. Going for it, even when you don't have all the answers. And I think that's a common thread that I've heard in your narrative here today. So thank you for taking the time to join me. I know you're incredibly busy. And so this has just been a delight to have this time to speak with you one on one. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm, uh, I feel really privileged to be one of your podcast guests. Thanks for listening today. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Fierce Lab. If you did, I would appreciate it if you would subscribe and maybe share it with a friend. You can always follow us on Instagram at Fierce Lab. <laughs>